And today we are actually going to discuss something that I know none of us struggle with, and that is praying for our enemies. Um, Each one of us has such a soft heart for those who don't like us. And uh, we're always wanting them to come out as winners on the other side because that's just our heart, correct? Yeah, I didn't get an amen on that because I didn't figure I would. Praying for our enemies. Um, This is a call that God put upon our life. This is uh, something that Jesus himself said, this is is what you're going to have to learn to do. This is something that, that you are expected to do as a believer is to pray for your enemy. And it is a struggle. When people don't do as we want them to do, when people come against us and they're trying to harm us, they're trying to hurt us, uh, our first instinct is to harm back. To do unto others as they've done to us instead of doing unto others as you would have them what? Do unto you. Makes it tough. Makes it hard. But this is the call that God put on our life. So let's stand together as we read from Matthew chapter 5. Verse 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Father, we pray that we would have an understanding that this is a commandment that you have given us to love and to pray for our enemies. Father, I stand in this pulpit confessing to you, Father, that this is a struggle in this pastor's life to embrace such a call. But it is one that I confess to you, Father, I I know that I must do. And it's one that when I see the fruits of obedience here, that's when I get the greatest joy. When I can pray sincerely for my enemy. When my goal for my enemy is that they come to know Christ. Father, when that happens, there is great rejoicing, both in heaven and on earth. So, Lord, teach us to love and to pray for those who hate us. We pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Watching social media you can figure out pretty quickly where a lot of people stand in our world today. Um, From time to time, when I do put things out, um, I try not to be too harsh. I try to put things out that are positive, uh, but sometimes people still do not appreciate uh, the things that, that, that are posted. And at that moment, 
even though it's just something that doesn't mean anything for eternity, in that moment I'm challenged by maybe a dislike of something that I put out there or a, or a rude comment back aimed back at me, it's automatic sometimes to just think, you know, who is this? And how dare them try to challenge my thoughts and my ideas and, and God immediately has to begin to work on my heart to realize that this is someone that I need to pray for and this is someone that I need to lift up before the Lord. And, and so we are called to love our enemies as you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what you've heard. These are the things that you have been taught. This is what was said to you. So we need to understand the idea of love here, all right? It is to show love, to demonstrate love, to care for. Now, I have no issue whatsoever caring for my family. And I believe that you in here are my family. And I I greatly love that opportunity to care for you, to serve you, to give to you. I enjoy that because I know that it'll be reciprocated. It'll come back to me. But it's not, that's not the only reason that I do it. I do it because I truly do love you. Whether I re- that gets returned or not doesn't matter. It's easy to love those who you know love you back. The call, though, is to show love, demonstrate love, and to care for people who don't love you. People who have said, I will do everything I can to make your life miserable. I will do everything I can to challenge you, to come against you. I'm going to work hard to make sure that you don't have an easy life. And the Bible says that those are the people that I'm supposed to show love, demonstrate love, and care for. Some of you are like, well, I told my enemy I loved him. Wasn't that good enough? Not according to this word, not according to the definition here in the Greek. It's to demonstrate love. It is to do for them what they're not willing to do for you. If you see your enemy hungry, what should you do at that very moment? You should take what is yours and give it to your enemy. It's not just feed him, and you're right, we're to feed him. We're actually to take what is ours and give to them. True love sacrifices. True love goes deeper than the world says it has to go. It actually takes what belongs to it and it shares it with the one that does not desire to have relationship or fellowship with you. That's demonstrating love. When your enemy is sick, you're to care for them. You're to care for them. When someone has hurt you and then they are hurting Your job, according to this idea of love, your job is to come alongside them and hurt with them, to show them compassion, to show them love, to serve them. This is the idea of what it is to love your enemy. It is setting aside how you and I feel and being obedient to show love, demonstrate love, and to care for. And I know that this is foreign to us in our world today because today if you don't agree with someone, that means you hate them. That's how people view us as the church. The church is full of bigots. The church is full of hateful people, homophobes, and everything else. Let me tell you what we are. We are a people who believe in the word of God. And if we truly believe in the word of God, we don't just look at things that are evil, but we also 
we also demonstrate love to those who don't think like us, agree with us, act like us, live like us. Again, we show love, demonstrate love, and care for. We come alongside. A lot of us have had issues in our past. There are people who have hurt us, who have harmed us. And part of our healing process is loving them. Part of our healing process is to show love, to demonstrate love, to care for. It's hard when we've been hurt. It's hard when we know that there's someone at work who cannot stand us, who wishes our demise, who desires us to be gone. It's hard for us to go to that person at work and to bring them breakfast. It's hard for us to go to that person at work and get there early before they get there and go into their cubicle or go into their office or go wherever it is they work and pray for them before they get there. But that's the call that we have. We have been called to show love, demonstrate love, and care for. But here's here's what Jesus does. He begins with this. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Be honest, how many of us grew up with that teaching? At least by one parent, right? I mean, I I did. I had one parent. If they don't like you, you don't have to like them. They want to be your enemy, that's fine. Thankfully, that's not the same attitude any longer. But Jesus is saying, this is what you've heard. This is what you grew up with. So what is he doing? He's getting ready to challenge how we think. Church, Jesus challenges how you think all the time. Constantly telling us, listen, you have heard this, but listen, I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to them. Take care of them. Help them. Serve them. Love your enemies. We watched a video last night at our home. A Mennonite preacher is preaching and he wanted to demonstrate what this looked like. So he asked for a volunteer from the audience. He said, listen, the Bible says if someone slaps you, You should turn the other cheek. You should still treat them with love and respect and honor them. So he asked for a volunteer to come up and slap him. Okay? At first, nobody really wanted to volunteer. Finally, he called on someone to come up and to demonstrate what it was to be disrespectful to him. And so he tells the guy, God comes up and says, listen, I want you to slap me, but don't do it very hard. (laughs) And so the, he said, matter of fact, do it kind of like a woman. Now, ladies, no disrespect there, but what he meant was to do it softly because y'all are so sweet and precious. You would never want to slap anyone other than your husband really hard, right? So um, <clears throat> we understand all that, and, and, of course, we know you wouldn't do that anyway, right, ladies? Okay, good. Um, so the guy kind of slaps the preacher a little bit, and the preacher's like, come on. 
I mean, that, that was nothing. So he said, now I want you to really slap me. I mean, the guy truly slaps the, the preacher. Glasses fly off. His earpiece comes out. I mean, it, it's, it's hilarious. It's, it's really there. And the, and the preacher's kind of shocked because he wasn't expecting quite that. And he starts looking at the guy and he goes, man, I can tell you had some real issues as a child growing up. You, you got some anger issues. We need to talk about those things. <clears throat> so this morning I thought, why not, you know? <laughs> Any volunteers want to come up and slap the pastor? <laughs> yeah. I, was, I see. See, hopefully y'all have a picture of what it, I've already given you the picture, okay? Y'all all stay right where you are. That's kind of, that hurts. That hurts. That hurts. Man. Did my wife raise her hand? She, she said yes. <laughs> she said yes. And my daughter. Probably my son-in-law. You didn't, because last week you picked on me, so this week you're not. I appreciate that so very much. I already told your boss he needed to handle that. Um, The reality of it is this. No matter what someone does to you, as a believer, we cannot respond to their action. We have to respond in truth to what was done to us. Can I tell you something? That's where we all struggle. This is where we struggle because the truth says to love your enemy. The truth says to give to your enemy. The truth says to turn the other cheek. The truth says to serve your enemy. But the inside of me says, Give me room. We cannot listen to what the heart says because the heart is wicked and evil. We have to know what the word of God says and the word of God says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Bless those who curse you. Anybody in here ever been cursed by somebody? I mean, I'm talking about just full on, here it comes. Doesn't it feel good when they do that to you? Just beautiful, like, oh, man. My mother taught me growing up that the people who cussed were people who were dumb because they didn't know how to say anything good, you know. They They weren't very smart. And I grew up thinking I had some really dumb people in my family. But the reality of it is, people curse us, they come against us, they, they say all types of evil towards us. And yet the Bible says, I'm not concerned how you feel, I'm not concerned about their words, I'm telling you that if you want to be like me, Jesus is saying this, you will bless those who curse you. What should be the very thing we all desire in this room? To be like Christ, Amen. And Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. See, y'all are going to all get an A this morning on this message. Because we're all perfect in this area, correct? Negative, right? Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Oh, Brother Tom, I got that part down. 
I pray for my enemy all the time. I'm an Old Testament type of prayer person. Right? Lord, kill them all. God, just get them. You know what they did to me? Lord, I turn them over to you. And then Jesus comes along and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love them, bless them, and pray for them. Now, we're talking about our enemy, right? Y'all know that. How many of you have a sibling and you, you have a your brother or your sister? Just, just go ahead and raise your hand if you have that. How many of you are an only child? If you're an only child, just raise your hand. We only got a couple of those in here. Let me tell you something. You are blessed beyond marriage. You just don't know it. <laughs> Who is your first sworn enemy? Your sibling, right? Your first sworn enemy was your brother or your sister. And I've been to some of your houses. I know that for a fact, right? I know that to be true. So-and-so took this out of my room. What do you think we should do to so-and-so? We should beat the snot out of them. This is your brother. Well, good. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. We, we are to be people who have a purpose behind our prayer. So what does it mean? What, 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 when we say pray, well, to make intercession for. To intercede on behalf of the person who hates you, who is your enemy who is not like you, who's coming against you, to intercede on their behalf, to go before God with purpose on their behalf, seeking a right relationship for them and God and for them and you. My goal here as I'm praying for my enemy, is not that God would kill him or her or shame him or her or maim him or her, but instead I am asking God to bring salvation to this one who hates me. I'm asking God to bring a unity between the one who hates me and myself. I'm asking God to give me eyes to see what they see. And Lord, if there's a reason that they hate me, show it to me. Reveal that to me. If I've done anything to them, let me know. Half the time, people don't like us, and we're like, I don't see how they can't like us. Ask your sibling. They'll tell them. We know the truth. You and I are to make intercession, to pray for, to come before God on behalf of the one who has hurt us and harmed us. Anybody besides me struggle with this? It's tough. But I know it's the right thing to do. God is very clear through his son what we are to do for our enemies. Let me keep reading here. He he says this, for if you love those who love you, What reward have you? Do not even the IRS do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? God is telling us that a believer, a believer has a forgiving 
heart. That a believer has a heart of restoration. That a believer has a desire to see the person who hates them come to Christ. Verse 48 says, therefore, you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. God is saying, listen, this is not a thing that I want you to do. This is a thing that I command you to do. And I've given you the word through my son, Jesus Christ. Love your enemy. Pray. For your enemy. Brother Tom, I'm struggling with that. Well, if we want to be like Christ, we're going to have to learn to do it. Luke 23 tells the story of Christ as he's being tried, then crucified. And I want you to pay attention to how Jesus handled those who hated him. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, the king. We all know that not to be true because Jesus told them that render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God's. Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, It is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priest in the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he thought, I can get this guy out of here. And he asked if the man were a Galilean, and as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, and who was also in Jerusalem at that time. And now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Herod's a lot like a lot of people today. Well, if God would just reveal himself to me. If God would just do such and such, then I would believe. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. In verse 10, and the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod, with his uh, men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him with a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people, and indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things which you accuse him of. No, neither did Herod, for since you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him, I will therefore chastise him and release him. For it was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. And they all cried out at once saying, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Pilate therefore wishing to release Jesus again called out to them, but they shouted all the more, Crucify, crucify him. By the way, these are the same voices that did what earlier in the week? They praised him. 
Verse 22 says, Then he said to them the third time, Why, what evil has he done? I have found no reason for death. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will. I just want a little side note here. Aren't you thankful that none of us are Jesus? We would not have gone through this to this point. This would have ended a long time ago. Now, as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. You know why? Because they had beaten him so bad that he could no longer carry his own cross. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore, and breasts which never nursed. And they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and on the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the greenwood, what will be done in the dry? This is how they acted when Christ was here. Now look at us and where we are today. Folks, we live in a sick world. There were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Can you imagine at that moment? Here are his sworn enemies yelling, crucify him. And he looks down upon these sinners and he says what? Father, forgive them. The very thing he told us to do back in Matthew, we see him living out here in the scripture. It's amazing to me that Jesus Is able to do this as the son of man. But he knew, he knew what had to happen. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription also was written over him with letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. The very title was true, but they had rejected their king. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blaspheming him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. This is that moment where the greatest pain is upon our Savior. That moment where where he knows what is about to take place. When God himself can no longer look upon his son. That deepest, darkest moment in his life is about to take place. And he's being ridiculed. And then the other 
answer and rebuke him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, at Christ's darkest hour, he looks over at him, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Is that not amazing? How at that darkest moment, God still showed who he was. Now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. Can I tell you why that's important? Let me share with you why those words are so important. Even in the midst of hateful actions by hateful people, Jesus' character never changed. Now we're challenged, aren't we? All of a sudden, to follow Christ means that I don't change who I am no matter the circumstance. And why are those words important? Because, listen, very few believe. Listen to what it says. Verse 48, And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breast and returned. Certainly he got what he deserved. No. No, he got what we deserved. And gladly took it upon himself. And he loved his enemies. Even to death. You and I are called to love those who hate us. Pray for those who are enemies. God help us, amen. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you have shown us what it is to serve people who despise us, who hate us, who have rejected us. Lord God, may we become more like your son. As John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he may increase. Lord, let me think less of myself so that when my enemy comes, I can serve him. So when my enemy comes at me, I can intercede for him or her. Lord God, deal with our brokenness so that people can see Jesus through us. We pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name.